0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm. So glad that you have chosen to spend some time with us today. Glad that you are with us today on the program. A number of stories you want to know about LGBT clubs for four-year-olds. In Los Angeles, the answer to that appears to be yes as well. Teachers are being coached about how to conceal the nature of LGBT clubs from parents. We'll talk about that today on the program. In addition, a Denver, Colorado area elementary school has created racially segregated playground hours. Is this what racial equality looks like now? We'll talk about that. As well. And at the end of the program, lots of news out of China. Congress took some action to put pressure on China for the human rights abuses. But Russia is moving in a very different and very concerning direction. We'll talk about that as well. But the headlines now from Capitol Hill. Last night, the House voted 222 to 208 to hold former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows in criminal contempt of Congress his crime, agreeing to answer any questions posed by Speaker Pelosi's handpicked select committee on January 6th, as long as the questions didn't violate executive privilege. But that has not been enough, as noted yesterday by Representative Jim Jordan ahead of the vote. What did Mark Meadows do? He gave the committee thousands of emails. He gave the committee thousands of text messages. And he agreed to come in front of the committee and answer any question as long as it didn't violate executive privilege. But Democrats says, nope, not good enough, Mr. Meadows. You've got to come in and answer any and every question we ask you, or we're going to try to put you in prison. It's disgusting. It is so disgusting. Here with me now to talk about this and more is Representative Dan Bishop, who's a member of the House Judiciary Committee and Homeland Security Committee. He represents the 9th Congressional District in North Carolina, which is not far from the 11th Congressional District of North Carolina, which Mark Meadows previously represented before he was appointed to White House Chief of Staff in 2020. Congressman Bishop, welcome back to the program.
1: Good evening, Joseph. Great to be with you.
0: Thanks for having us. We're hoping you can help us understand what is happening in Washington, D.C. today. Now, executive privilege is a big part of this story. Mark Meadows is saying he can't give House Democrats the information they want because it's protected by executive privilege. Uh, Tell our viewers and listeners what the issue is there.
1: Joseph, I think Jim Jordan did an extraordinary job of explaining that on the floor. For the benefit of the people, for the, in order to preserve the strength and independence of the executive branch of government, all of which is reposed in the President of the United States, since George Washington, it's been the law and uh, th- that the President has the right to confidentiality about his advice that he receives from his closest advisors. And what... Mark Meadows has proposed to do throughout the process since he's been issued a subpoena is to provide what he can, consistent with President Joe Biden's uh, waiver of any rights he has in the privilege that, you know, following this new administration, but to preserve that very heart of presidential privilege, which is about the chief of staff and others very close to the president providing him personal interactions, personal counsel.
0: This seems to be a unique conflict. Is there, pre- is there precedent, excuse me, for the use of executive privilege in in executive office conversations, or at least former executive office conversations uh, with Congress?
1: Sure, there have been other times when these issues have arisen, and what has generally resulted is a, a, an accommodation process in which Congress, representatives of the Congress, and the representatives of the President. Negotiate out so that the Cong- congressional committee can get any information it legitimately needs, while the president's closest discussions with advisors are still protected. That here's what's what's new now. So that happened with Eric Holder. It happened when uh, Lois Lerner with the IRS scandal some years ago. Uh, many different uh, Harriet Myers back in the Bush administration. What's different here is within a space of a month or two. The, the so-called January 6th Select Committee, which is really just composed of one one side in Congress, has uh, has gone directly to threatening to try to put Mr. Meadows in prison with a criminal contempt of Congress charge and to refuse any kind of real negotiating or, or compromising process in order to get the information without it. They, they're really, they're, they're going on, they're starting a new, they're making a uh, starting new precedence about how vicious they are. It's just really mean. I mean, Jim Jordan had it exactly right on the floor. It's just, it's uh, unbelievably mean and I think short sighted because it will not be long. I'm confident if, uh, before Republicans are the majority in con- in the House and we have uh, investigations we want to undertake and we're going to proceed in whatever way Democrats proceed. If, as far as I'm concerned, if, if they are going to drop all notions of what we call comity, uh, C-O-M-I-T-Y. Uh, the relationship between the, ex- the executive and legislative branches of government uh, that are civil and, uh, and uh, mannerly and go into the nastiest, most vicious approach they can take, that's likely to happen in the future. And it will work to their disadvantage, and they will not be satisfied with the result.
0: Are you saying you foresee a future in which uh, it's commonplace for former White House staffers to be thrown into prison for not answering questions?
1: I mean, you have absolutely, you summarized it perfectly well, Joseph. That's the future that we do not want. And unfortunately, this has become a pattern in many different ways wherein uh, the left, where the Democrats seek to politicize the criminal justice system in order to exact vengeance on their political opponents. Uh, The most recent that you can think of on the Judiciary Committee, where I serve with ranking member Jordan, uh, is... The fact that the attorney general issued this memo, and, and there was a subsequent mem- uh, email from the criminal uh, ter- uh, counterterrorism division of the FBI to put threat tags on parents who were showing up in school board meetings, and uh, and, and so that's one where there have been many others. The, the use of the FBI FISA process during the Trump admit- the Trump campaign that people will remember. This mm-hmm. is we're going down a road that's extraordinarily dangerous because Democrats are politicizing our justice system.
0: Well, we know that congressional Democrats have been in the minority in Congress before, and certainly they know Republicans have been in the White House before. Are they in discussions about this particular situation? Are they denying that executive privilege applies or is relevant? Or are they saying it just doesn't matter right now?
1: They, they do say. I mean, that Jamie Raskin, the uh, gentleman from Maryland, argues that there's no legitimate issue of, of privilege. But of course there is. At one point in the correspondence between the lawyers in this uh, the, the committee's lawyers uh, acknowledge that this very core of privilege that I've made reference to, core of executive privilege, the idea that when Mark Meadows is talking to the president, that's the that's the heart of privilege, the lo- likeliest part to be protected by the highest court in the land if the dispute ever gets there. You know, th- that's that's the piece that Mark Meadows is still working to preserve. The arguments that, that can't possibly be any executive privilege there seem ridiculous to me, and I don't think they're uh, – reasonable arguments uh but again if, if many times in legal disputes both sides have different views of what is reasonable the problem is that if you embark on this harsh treatment with that it, it doesn't give any recognition to the reasonableness of the other side's arguments you're going to end up in a process that upsets the American people causes more division causes more uh you know a lot of people to be harmed who are trying to do their best to serve and govern
0: do you think the congressional Democrats see this as a political winner for them? Is that why they're drawing, drawing this hardline position?
1: Oh, absolutely. This is all they have. Uh, the Democrats have had. I mean, if you think, think about the past year, it has been a year, uh, one year of one-party rule in government. It has been catastrophic in every respect you can think of. I could go through the litany, but you know, if you just think for a second about the inflation rate, you know, the highest inflation in forty years, record inflation, never before seen inflation. In producer prices. Uh, that's just one thing that comes to mind, Joseph, and I can tell you a bunch of others. I don't want to take too much of your time there, but that, that's all they've got to talk about now. They want to make something out of the January 6th riot at the Capitol that is that has never been what it is. They want to try to take half the country, uh, conservatives or centrists to conservatives, and try to suggest that they're evil or that they, they should be shamed for being supporters of Donald Trump in his presidency because uh, some people uh, wreaked havoc at the Capitol on January 6th. That it's it's amazing. Their hypocrisy is unbelievable because we had, frankly, a year. Actually, Nancy Pelosi said it today that there's a there's an atmosphere of lawlessness in the country. Well, it started with riots uh, across the country in the in you know following Memorial Day of last year and the uh, George Floyd tragedy, uh, and 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 G- Democrats excused it. They they said that those were pr- peaceful protests. The fact is, all members of the United States Congress, all people, frankly, ought to be uh, ought to be uh, condemning of any kind of political violence. And the violence that occurred on January sixth of the Capitol is very concerning. Uh, but it's not a coup. It's not an insurrection. And it's certainly not something that uh, that Republicans supported. And now they're they're you know if you saw saw a story today, they're beginning to selectively quote and and uh, lie about, deceptively quote. Uh, text that went from members of congress to uh, to mark meadows if you're, if you have the facts, I can tell you this it's spending a lot of time in the practice of law. If you have the facts, you never need to lie and so uh, you're seeing lies emerge and they're being documented and're and, and those who are running this process are being embarrassed.
0: Congressman Bishop, uh, we are, this issue is about, has been referred now to the Department of Justice, and they will consider criminal prosecution. Where do you see this going?
1: I'm, I'm worried about it, frankly, worried for our friend Mark Meadows. He's a fine person, a good man, as Jim Jordan said. And, and uh, you know, the, Steve Bannon has already been cited for contempt, and that was referred to the Justice Department, and the Justice Department promptly indicted him. Uh, I think there's reason to take a different path with Mark Meadows, and I'm hopeful that they will, that uh, wiser, cooler heads will prevail. Uh, But, you know, Mark Meadows is is also a committed patriot, and he said he's not going to be intimidated into capitulating on this important question of how the people are protected through executive privilege.
0: We've only got a couple minutes left, but I do want to touch on one other issue with you. Uh, Majority Leader Schumer in the Senate has recently indicated he might pivot away from the Build Back Better uh, bill and move to election reform, which, as we've talked about on this program many times, is essentially a federal takeover of state and local elections. What do you think is happening there?
1: Um, I'd be a little surprised that they can make any more progress on Uh, this this total Washington takeover of all election processes designed to perpetuate Democrat one party rule. I I don't think they're going to be any more successful at that than they have been negotiating with Joe Manchin the remaining provision certain provisions of the Build Back back, uh, Broke uh, Law uh, bill that they're trying to pass. Uh, You know the folks who listen here, of course, are are believers, and uh, we're all having I've had an opportunity to marvel at how the Lord works. In that, it would not have been my expectation that Joe Manchin would protect the country. He's a Democrat, uh, and he's uh, not he's certainly not a conservative. Uh, but he has—he's uh, turned out to be he and Kristen Cinema in the United States Senate have turned out to be key factors in protecting the country from a, a radical improve, uh, increase in the size of government that will be far more damaging even than in the inflation we've seen so far.
0: Well, a lot of people have been praying, and it is common throughout history for god to answer prayers in ways that we do not expect and so we should not be surprised if he has done that again but we should keep praying and congressman dan bishop really appreciate your time today thanks so much merry christmas joseph thank you merry christmas stay with us when we come back after the break lgbt clubs for children as young as four and why are teachers being taught how to conceal clubs like this from the parents of the children who are involved. That's the conversation we'll have when we come back right here on Washington Watch. Stay with us.
2: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God. And he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org slash worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions.
3: to 67742.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Blackholm, sitting in for Tony. Two years ago, FRC rolled out the Stand on the Word Bible reading plan to encourage people to read through the scriptures. We hope as you start the new year, you will join us. Please go to frc.org slash Bible for all the details about that plan, how you can get regular updates sent directly to you, and you can join us on our journey through the Bible. We hope you'll do that. The Los Angeles Unified School District's Office of Human Relations, Equity, and Diversity has set up an online LGBTQ plus club that is geared towards students from pre-K through fifth grade. Yes, you heard me correctly. This is an LGBTQ plus club targeting children as young as four years old. And news of this comes as parents in California are catching wind of a recording from California Teachers Association Conference at which teachers were coached to conceal the nature of the LGBTQ clubs from parents. Joining me now to talk about these troubling discoveries is Sarah Perry, legal fellow at Heritage Foundation and former senior counsel to the assistant secretary for civil rights, the U.S. Department of Education. And she was also a guest host for Washington Watch before joining the Trump administration. Sarah, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, we're glad to see you. It's always California, sadly, I think. Let's let's talk first about the teacher conference there where teachers are being coached to conceal the nature of these clubs from parents.
4: What do we know? Well, this is an epidemic in American education. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is this diminution of parental rights in education, LA Unified School District was also caught lying about the fact that they were teaching critical race theory. But ultimately, this conference in which these teachers were told to conceal the nature of the club is because the club itself and the activities surrounding the club were actually so pernicious. There were inclusions of gender Neutral pronouns. There was a video from Tinder on non-binary individuals. There were curriculum push and play lessons on exactly what it means to be non-binary. There were discussions of two spirit sexualities and an entire video from a two-spirit sexual person, uh, whatever that means, that indicates that Christianity and colonization were ultimately responsible for the treatment and torment of individuals who were non-binary in Native American populations during the turn of the 17th century. So this is really not only poor educational material. It really evidences altogether that this is part of a growing and very disturbing trend that American public education is no longer an accessible opportunity or right for all American families, but now is becoming really a, a political battering ram. And it's become sort of an activist arm of hard left progressive ideologies. And we have a lot, a lot of concern about that.
0: Now, you talked specifically about this two-spirit issue and some of the other questions, and I'll read from some of this from the curriculum. It had a question that asked these children, why do you think European colonizers worked so hard to eliminate these indigenous values and traditions? And it also concluded that particular lesson by telling students that, the two spirit tradition is resilient and precious, and that it has survived centuries of colonial violence and prejudice. Uh, again, given the age of the children that we're talking about here, four years old to uh, fifth grade, those are kind of heavy topics, aren't they?
4: They are. In fact, it's clear to me that LA Unified School District, which I'm sure is among the wokest, if not the most woke of all of the public education systems in the nation, it's been consistently bad in terms of introducing some of this hard left policy and particularly aggressive in the area of human sexuality and eliminating parents from the option to be able to control what their children hear and see. There are topics here that would be difficult to grasp if one were a 12th grader on their way to college, but colonization and Christian traditions, two-spirit identities and gender neutral pronouns like Z, Zim, and zur which again, always sound like gobbledygook um, to me, are really, they're concepts that are not only inappropriate for these children, they're far beyond their comprehensive age. I would not think to introduce Human biology to a child who is as young as four all the way up to 11 or 12, I think it is inappropriate in terms of where these kids are at developmentally. But it evidences that LA Unified is not interested in educating their students. They're interested in indoctrinating their students, and that's something very different.
0: And let's talk about that difference, because it does seem strange that they would be introducing these topics that most of us have lived our entire lives somewhat blissfully unaware of things like Two-Spirit, and we don't feel like that's harmed us. Why do they feel like it's a priority to introduce these concepts to four-year-olds now?
4: Well, because I think it goes to the nature of what public education is becoming. And also, I can connect so much of this back to the involvement of the National Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers, the nation's two largest teacher unions. Both organizations have been closely aligned with the Department of Education federally. And we know that the administration now, particularly in the area of civil rights, is helmed by a woman named Catherine Lehman, who herself had a tendency to be aggressive, particularly in the areas of human sexuality and gender identity, and she was, under President Obama, his secretary for civil rights, and instituted right before leaving office the transgender bathroom policy. Many of these schools were at ground zero for institution of this aggressive approach, and un- Unsupported by the law and federal civil rights law, I might add. But this really is something that is taking the nation by storm, and we're seeing much of it in conjunction with efforts to conceal social gender identity transitions on the part of children. So if a child indicates that they are suddenly discomfortable, they're uncomfortable with their actual gender identities, those transitions socially in terms of sports, bathroom use, preferred pronouns, changes in names have been facilitated in increasing measure measure in public schools across the country. The Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty has brought two of those lawsuits on behalf of two sets of parents in two different school districts who were, in fact, surprised to learn that their children identified completely differently at school and that they had been walked through the process by teachers. So there is an activist element to this Mm -hmm. that is ultimately not only completely misguided, but it does the entire notion of public education and American excellence really a disservice. Our international Mm -hmm. placement scores are horrible.
0: We are out of time, unfortunately, but I agree that the effort to cut parents out of this whole process may be one of the worst parts of all of it. Thank you so much for your time today and being with us. Thanks for having me. Next, racially segregated playgrounds in Denver. We'll talk about it when we come back. What
5: is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm sitting in for today. Glad that you are here with us. An elementary school just outside Denver, Colorado, is getting pushback for its plans to hold a monthly Families of Color Playground Night. According to reports, the racially segregated playtime was scheduled for the second Wednesday of each month, but was canceled due to COVID protocols. The plan now is to reschedule them in the new year. What are we to make of schools promoting racially segregated playgrounds? With me now to discuss this is Virgil Walker. He's the executive director of operations for G3 Ministries and the co-host of one of the best podcasts
7: in the world, Just Thinking. Virgil, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's a joy to be with you. thanks for that introduction uh, and again, thanks for having me hey we're glad to have you uh, you know in the past, people literally
0: gave their lives to eliminate segregated spaces based on skin color and in the pursuit of equal- equality. How is it now that schools are recreating segregated spaces based on skin color but also doing this in the
7: alleged pursuit of equality yeah I think you I think you were spot on with with the way you frame the question, Uh, what we've witnessed uh, during the course of the 60s, the the late 60s, early 70s, um, even in the 50s, was the the push of desegregation, right? The push of civil rights leaders like uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, who said we should be judged by the content of character rather than the color of skin. And what we're witnessing in woke culture is really this idea that segregation is now in vogue. I mean, if 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 those uh, segregationists from the 1950s and 60s actually found themselves uh, walking around the day in, uh, in at Centennial Elementary School, they would be rather excited about what they saw with regard to this segregated time for families of color. Uh, this is absolutely uh, socially acceptable racism. This is socially acceptable uh, segregation, uh, and we should yeah. we should call it we should call it exactly what it is and, yeah. and be about eradicating it.
0: And Virgil, I- explain this to me, because I'm a firm believer that very few people do things they believe to be irrational. There has to be some kind of logic to this. What is the logic of wokeness that leads them to believe that racially segregated playgrounds is some kind of a benefit?
7: Yeah. Well, I, I think there's a, there, there are a number of things at play. Uh, you've got the, the, the issue that, that most woke, those in the woke culture embrace, which is the victimology, the victimization of certain classes of people, and so every opportunity that presents itself there's a need to find a new group of victims and so in this case, uh, they found families of color to be the next victim class that they wanted to 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 grab onto and push out at the fore as someone in need of their of their help and assistance and th- All this is is a massive virtue signal by the school the the The, the, the folks who who d- decided that they were going to put this together. Have been trained uh, in in you know uh, Crt uh, understand what it means to to bring in uh, the, the socially equitable learning uh, processes that, that we see that, that permeate crt and uh, this is all, this is all of what we're seeing kind at of the fore
0: and to your point, you just mentioned CRT. Do you think this is evidence that despite the
7: insistence of some CRT actually is in the schools? Yeah, it, it 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 actually is in the schools. The thing is, what they're doing now with language is the whole the whole point and process of uh, of, of CRT and those who advocate it is it's about deconstruction. And so what they're trying to do, you have the the dean of culture and Nicole Timbrock. She's she's trained in social emotional learning. What's happening is no longer our schools. They, they recognize that most of culture realizes CRT is uh, is destructive. And so the languages begin changing. And what's happening is they're infusing CRT within things like social emotional learning. Uh, They're infusing it in in ideas like having a dean of culture and diversity. Uh, So those are the kinds of ways that they're couching their critical race theory uh, in in plain sight. So what is it about CRT what does it
0: teach that would lead people to then conclude, well, we should create racially segregated spaces and playgrounds?
7: Well, it, the idea behind it, at least those who, who spoke about it, said families came to them, uh, black families in particular, and were looking for an, an equitable outcome, an equitable outcome regarding their, their ability to, to connect with one another. So in the mind of those who would advocate for, for critical race theory, the, the equitable outcome would be to take from one group of people in order to give to, to, to those who are disadvantaged or less advantaged, rather than seeing that the real need was for people to actually come together as as one human race under the banner of unity and humanity. Uh, they, they made the decision to, to segregate them. If you look at, If you take the time and look at any of the diversity uh, statistics or, the, or, or, or even the demographics of the school, what you'll find is the school is primarily white and Hispanic. Uh, there's only maybe three to four three to uh, percent black students. So I, I'm, I'm curious when they add things like people of color, who they were actually referring to. Was it the black students? Were Hispanic students included in that process? Furthermore, and I'll say this and, and I'll turn it back over to you. I'm just I'm shocked by the idea that a three a school that has three percent blacks uh, could not figure out a way outside of having the playground segregated for themselves. They could not figure out a way to have a playtime at the at the local McDonald's down yeah. the street.
0: Well, my assumption is that families of color would include Hispanic families. But, Virgil, in about 30 seconds, is it your perception that families of color, however you want to define that, want spaces separate from white people
7: I, again I think this was a massive virtue signal uh, I, I I don't know that that's that's true I can't I can't ascertain the motivation of those who who came to the school and, and, and were asking the kinds of questions I do think those questions that you that you're asking bear you know investigation they bear fair enough to see where did this originate from whom did this idea originate so that we can get to the to, to the crux of the issue
0: Virgil Walker, thanks so much for your time appreciate it thanks for having me And coming up, we are going to talk about, and actually I'll say you can find Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison, Just Thinking is the podcast. encourage you to find that. Now coming up, we're going to talk about China. The Congress is taking some steps against them, but Russia is moving toward them. We'll talk about it when we come back.
6: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news?
8: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: It's
0: beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Every Joseph Spackle. Sitting in for Tony going. Perkins. So glad that you are with us. A couple reminders you can download the Stand Firm app wherever you get your apps. Type in Stand Firm, and we can send you Washington Watch and a host of other FRC resources directly to your phone. Also, if you are a fan of FRC, and we know that you are because you are with us and you'd like to support this effort and this program, you can do so. And your gift can be doubled if your gift is given between now and December 31st. You can call 800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com. Every gift up to $1.5 million doubled between now and December 31st. Well, It's hard to find any consensus between Democrats and Republicans in Washington, D.C. these days, but there is agreement that the Chinese Communist Party's targeted persecution of the Uyghur minority in China is unacceptable. Last night, the House of Representatives passed a bill to ensure that goods made in forced labor in the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region of the People's Republic of China do not enter the United States market. And the bill, Passed the House via unanimous voice vote. Here to highlight this rare moment of unity in the House of Representatives is my colleague, Ariel Del Turco, FRC's Assistant Director of the Center for Religious Liberty. Ariel, welcome back.
9: Great to be with you, Joseph.
0: Good to see you. Tell us a bit more about this bill and what it does.
9: Yeah, so this bill places a rebuttable presumption on goods produced in Xinjiang that say they're likely to be made with forced labor of the Uyghur people. And that's how widespread um, the use of Uyghur forced labor is. Um, In Xinjiang, the Chinese government has one to three million Uyghurs in internment camps, and they're being utilized as a source of forced labor. So they're being put to work to produce um, cotton and solar panels and other goods. And it's a problem for the United States because the supply chains of major U.S. companies run through this region. And we've even had companies like Apple and Nike lobby against this bill because they know it's going to cut into their bottom line because they're profiting off of this weaker forced labor.
0: Well, that's a story in and of itself. If we know that we have American corporations that we are all supporting with uh, purchases of our shoes and phones, that we are essentially um, supporting that. When do we think the impact of this will be felt by companies and then also by consumers.
9: So this bill has a relatively short uh, period of enactment. It should be enacted before um, next year. And for companies, that means they're going to have to make some hard decisions. They're going to have to decide um, whether they want to leave Xinjiang or leave China because um, they can no longer profit off of forced labor. So we're probably going to see companies um, decide to move to friendlier companies in Asia or South America that aren't committing genocide on their people and committing human rights abuses through their supply chains?
0: I think I can speak for most Americans when I say that I would prefer to spend a bit more on a phone than believe that my cost, uh, the, the cost reduction was being provided on the back of forced labor and concentration camps. And and we also know that the international community uh, recently determined that what was happening to the Uyghurs was, in fact, a genocide. Now, Ariel, is this enough? Are there other things that Congress should be doing to be addressing this problem?
9: Well, this is an important point because this gets at the very heart of Um, cutting China's ability to profit off of their human rights abuses and to make the rest of the world complicit in it. So this, once it passes the Senate and goes to the president, will be a very, very important move. Other moves the United States needs to be looking at are the upcoming Olympics. The Biden administration has announced a diplomatic boycott, which means the president and other diplomats will not show up and uh, play nice with the Chinese officials, which is good. That's the right move. But we need to be getting other countries on board and joining us and saying the same thing, that we just can't treat the Chinese government like any other country because the way they're acting is not like any other country.
0: Speaking of that, has the Chinese government responded to this yet? Any sense that this kind of pressure is going to make any difference?
9: Yeah, the Chinese government reacted uh, quite unhappily to the news that the Biden administration would be announcing a diplomatic boycott. But uh, I think it's going to take more to see a change in their actual policies, and it's going to take the rest of the world getting on board. It's not quite a statement just that Biden's not going. It would be more of a statement if Um, The rest of the free world and Europe were not showing up at the Olympics, but there's progress to be made.
0: I know this has been a big story with the NBA now because they have been very quiet about Chinese human rights abuses. And as a league, they have taken a lot of, uh, of heat, at least on social media for their refusal to condemn anything having to do with Chinese human rights abuses because of, uh, their market that they're trying to get into any sense that this move by Congress may begin to uh, pressure companies that are benefiting from the Chinese government and the cash that's coming to the U.S. from there, that they might change their posture?
9: Oh, yeah. I think this is a major sign for international companies that China is not a region that is safe to do business as normal. I mean, think about Disney. When they filmed Mulan, they filmed in the Xinjiang region and then thanked uh, Xinjiang government entities for their cooperation and help filming. I think we're going to see stuff like that really change, hopefully, because this is a major, major move by the U.S. government to say China is just not a place that you can do business as normal.
0: Hopefully, this will make it normal to sacrifice a few dollars on behalf of human rights for the American government and, of course, American companies as well. Now, Ariel, one final question for you. This passed the House uh, with a unanimous voice vote. Any reason to think it will have any trouble getting through the House and getting the president's signature?
9: Uh, I don't think so. I think this is expected to go to the Senate, hopefully by the end of this week, and be sent to the president. There was some concern that the president and the White House was keeping this bill at arm's length. But we did see a statement come out of the White House last night that indicates that uh, Biden will sign this and view this favorably. So that's all good news. This is a major step for uh,
0: Chinese human rights. That is good news. And Ariel Del Turco, we appreciate you bringing it to us. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks. Now, we talk about the Congress's actions against the Chinese government. They are not the only country. Other countries like Australia, the UK, Canada have announced diplomatic boycotts of the 2022 Winter Olympic Games in Beijing, as the United States has, over CCP's human rights abuses. In addition, within the last week, as I mentioned in the last conversation, the international community declared the Chinese treatment of the Uyghur Muslims to be a genocide, but not everyone was concerned with China. Russian leader, Vladimir Putin has anou- announced his plans to attend the Olympics. In addition, Putin had a virtual meeting, excuse me, had a virtual meeting with Chinese leader Xi Jinping, during which Xi Jinping told Putin that the relationship between Russia and China quote exceeds an alliance. Joining me now to talk about what this means for the U.S. and for the world is China expert Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. He can be found on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, welcome back to the program. Oh, well, thank you so much. So tell us a a bit about this meeting that Putin and uh, Xi Jinping have had.
10: This was a virtual meeting today, and it comes after President Biden had a virtual meetings with Xi Jinping and Putin. Um, and so the Chinese and the Russians are now conspiring. The important thing here, Joseph, is that these two countries are now supporting each other's aggression. Putin said that he supported um, China's claim to Taiwan, and Beijing said, at least according to the Russian foreign ministry, that they supported um, Um, Russia's position that Ukraine should never be a part of NATO. So they're working closely with each other. And this is a problem because we now got these two large states that are arrayed against us.
0: That does seem like a problem. Do you think that indicates either or both of them uh, potentially planning moves on these disputed borders?
10: Well, I think it does. Um, But in any event, if one of them does move, we can expect the other to move against its victims. They don't even have to act in coordination. They can just take advantage of the situation. And it's not just China and Russia. These two large states have proxies, North Korea, Pakistan, Iran, Algeria. And once one of these countries moves, all the rest of them could go at the same time, which means we could have simultaneous Mm -hmm. conflicts at both ends of the Eurasian landmass, as well as across the rim of Africa.
0: What do you think we should read into the fact that uh, Xi Jinping, Putin, and Biden all had a meeting together, and then almost immediately, Xi Jinping and Putin got together and said, we're going to have our own meeting. Is there something to to be read into that?
10: I think what it shows is that Moscow and Beijing are coordinating. You know, both Putin and Xi Jinping had their meetings with Biden, and now they're starting to figure out what their path forward is. And this is going to be bad because when these two conspire, nothing good can occur.
0: Do you think this is about anything other than getting back territory that they believe is theirs?
10: Well, it's certainly that. Um, And remember, China believes it has a right to rule the world and the nearer parts of the solar system. So we're talking about the most ambitious rulers in history. And I know that sounds ludicrous. But this is China's ambition to rule Tian or all under heaven, uh, which means that we have now got a fundamental challenge. This is not just competition between China and the United States, as many people said, and as Biden says. This really is China trying to take down the existing international order and replacing it with worldwide rule from Beijing.
0: Do you think the White House sees it that way also?
10: No, they don't. Um, Biden has all along had a benign view of China. When he was running for president, he said, oh, you know, the Chinese are not competition for us. Remember that come on, man comment? Um, But also as president, um, Biden has been talking about China as a competitor. He won't use the term adversary and he won't use the term that China uses against us, which is enemy, which means that we don't have a president who understands the nature of the Chinese challenge and therefore is not taking those measures that are necessary to protect the American Republic.
0: Explain a little bit why you think that is. Why is it that China will use that term against us, but we're reluctant to use it against them? Is this a worldview difference? Is this a fact that we we feel it's going to escalate the situation if we use hostile language? Where are they coming from?
10: That's a great question. And um, because I think that their policy is so factual, it's hard for me to answer it. We know, for instance, that a lot of people believe that the United States should try to integrate China into the international system. That was decades old policy. So I think Biden is susceptible to that. Also, you know, Biden is subject to pressure from Wall Street, from Walmart, corporate boards that are very much in China's camp. And, um, you know, he's got a son called Hunter, who's got some pretty interesting financial arrangements with Chinese entities. You know, you put all this stuff together and it shows, I think, that Biden, for whatever reason, uh, and we don't, I'm not in his head, but for whatever reason, Biden doesn't understand where we are with China and what China is willing to do. China's tactics are extremely malicious. We have now had 802,000 dead Americans dead from a disease that China deliberately spread beyond its borders. We have about 60,000 Americans killed each year from fentanyl, and China is behind this illicit fentanyl gangs. This is a regime that is willing to murder Americans, and we do not have a president, and we've never had a president, who has understood how malicious the Chinese can actually be.
0: You talk about the fact that the White House is subject to pressure, and of course every White House is because they operate in a political environment. We've also been talking about the pressure that the international community is attempting to exert on China, Uh, diplomatic boycotts of of the Olympics, which my gut tells me is mostly symbolic. Uh, The uh, Congress's recent action to pass legislation to cut off the supply of goods uh, from certain parts of China to the United States. Do you also think that China is subject to pressure? And if so, what are their pressure points?
10: Their pressure points is that they're heading into a debt crisis, which I don't think that they can get out of. We know this because, for instance, of Evergrande, the large property developer, has something like $305, 310000000000 billion in obligations, and it's not the only property developer that's in trouble. When we start to think about the amount of debt in the Chinese system, we don't really know what it is. Um, But it could very well be 400 percent of gross domestic product, which is an unbearable burden for them. I, I actually, you know, when you look at their economy, which is stagnating, they can't produce the output, which is necessary to retire their obligations. they got a debt crisis they can't solve. That's a pressure point.
0: Now, Gordon, explain this to me, because I feel like I often hear that we are borrowing all the money that we take on in debt from China. Is everybody just underwater in debt?
10: Well, everybody is underwater indebted. After 2008, we had the United States and we had a number of countries try to overstimulate themselves. China's in trouble because it adopted that tactic, and it adopted that tactic with greater determination than we did. But yes, we've got too much debt, and we've got a Congress right now that is willing to spend well beyond its ability to raise revenue. But I don't think that China is holding up American debt for various technical reasons because of the way the global financial markets operate. It doesn't really give them any leverage. Um, They talk about using their debt as a leverage against us, and they don't do it. They've been doing this since 2008, talking about it. They never do it because they know it doesn't work. It's pretty technical, but I can, you know, when you look at the way the markets work, Beijing doesn't have a tool there.
0: Gordon Chang, that's why we bring you on. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it very much.
10: Well, thank you so much and for the great work that you and Tony do. So thank you. I
0: appreciate that. We appreciate you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And friends, that's what we have for today. That is the show. We appreciate you being here with us on Washington Watch each and every day. The program really is about you. And remember, as you go about your day, fear God and nothing else. We'll see you next time.